easy to find my way back to the dock, bristling practically a foot above the ground in all my rage, but determining which of the hundreds of ships was the lady's peril was a harder task. At least its mast would still be upright. I walked up and down, annoyed, craning my head to read the ship's names. Many of the vessels had been robbed of their sails for tent-making, perhaps by their own crews, and they emitted a certain forlorn sound as their wood creaked. They seemed betrayed, those poor schooners, having made a fine, safe crossing to their port, they were abandoned without a second thought. I, too, was guilty. I left ship without a single glance backward, even the captains, who should have been penning their logs proudly, had spurted off the boards to shore, trading a sextant for a shovel. These large ships towered over me in mute wooden sorrow. It was becoming dark, and the somber mood made me wonder suddenly if it was safe for me to be there without an escort. Each city has its own ways, but generally the docks are not for women— my anger was subsiding in the vast expanse of the bay, and I thought perhaps I ought to return in the daylight to continue my search. No, he'll be long gone by then, I told myself. All the ship's hands desert the ship for gold-seeking, and if there's one time I'll find him here, it's tonight. If he slips off for his gold-panning, why, I'll not see hair nor hide of my money again." So I stepped quietly, hoping none would see me. The water slapped against the boats, which in turn gave off ghastly wooden moans. It was a large moon rising tonight, thankfully, and I tried to calm myself with its pretty, bone-like gleam. Then I saw the lady's peril. I studied the portholes, which showed no light or movement, it looked like I was too late. The boy was already off with my money. But maybe he had left the trunk aboard with all my gowns. What purpose could they serve him? I looked down at what I wore. Gray twill. The gangplank was still in place, no one having remained on ship to pull it back. Looking behind me nervously, I boarded. Oh, la, it was a ghost ship already. I scarce could believe there had been breathing bodies aboard so short a time ago. My heels clattered on the deck, but there was no one to hear me. I walked the ship's length, noticing all kinds of rope and gear the sailors must consider valuable, yet had abandoned for anyone to take. A lantern and matches were near the stairs to the interior so I lit a flame and forced myself to go inside. You want your trunk, don't you? I reminded myself. You'll have a rough time of it in San Francisco without it, won't you? Inside, it was dark and smelled so. I had already forgotten the close odor that was the ship's fragrance. I trembled like Bluebeard's wife in that horror of an attic. Creeping into the gallery, I saw there were still sacks of food here, including the rice bag I could blame for all this, cutlery, plates, and long spoons for stirring masses of soup. A few rats scampered away from the lamp I carried, but they were the only things moving. Hello, 
I called. I went down another level on the tiny, steep stairs, nearly ready to faint with all the stories my mother had told me about dissatisfied spirits. The boat leaned from side to side as I looked in at the bunks the men had slept in. Such a scattering of belongings. They were so fierce in their gold-seeking that they had left behind the things they had brought around the world with them. I saw all manner of male clothing and appointments, yet not the small brown trunk that would fit my key. Under a blanket of one bunk, I did find a pretty lady's locket, some forgotten gift, and tucked it in my purse. I could sell it and maybe eat for a week off its value. But why had the sailors brought daguerreotypes of loved ones so far across the water if they were only going to leave them on the floor?